The first year is when most of us lose our lives. The second is when we lose our humanity. Zayden Ryerson said this one. Now, let me tell y'all some. If you have not read this book right here, I Am Flame. Like, no. <laughs> this is the first book, Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros in the Imperium series. But if you have not read this book, Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros, then just so you know, there will be spoilers because I will be spilling the tea, all of it. We are going over chapters one through nine in today's episode. So get your snacks, get ready. This is going to be a long one. And I'm excited. So let's get started. All right, so you've seen that quick little intro. My name is Tanisha. I am the host of Wellness Through Reading. This is a podcast dedicated to keeping reading a daily habit as a form of self-care. Before we continue any further, hit that like, comment, and subscribe button so that we can keep this channel going and getting more people reading. So, as you saw from the pre-show, Iron Flame, book review, chapters one through nine. This book is just amazing. I have loved this Imperium series so much. Now, I first got into it with Fourth Wing. I first saw the book on Book Talk. And typically when I see books on Book Talk, I'm always very hesitant about, you know, getting involved with the hype and all. It's like, eh, sometimes it's not really worth it. But this book, I'm telling you, is worth it. Rebecca Yaros is a genius. The pacing of it, the character development, everything. I love this series. And so we're going to break it down chapter by chapter, going over what happened, who did what, what does it all mean, and also going over some fan theories that I've been seeing around and some more of my own as well, too. So let's go. Okay, so let's go in. Chapter one. So we are at a kitchen table with Violet and her brother, Brennan. Yes. Ren Sorengale is alive. She says this repeatedly to herself at least five times because in the previous book, we thought he was dead. But that cliffhanger at the end that shows him pop up, hey, welcome to the revolution, sis. Bro, not cool. We thought he was gone this whole time. No. So we find them at the table. They're having this very awkward sibling conversation. She's still looking at him like, why are you here? What's going on? What happened? she's still trying to piece things together because she's been knocked out for the past couple of days uh, because of a venom poisoning her say it one more time she has been knocked out because of venom that she thought was just a historical little fable no these things are real and they are attacking people and the and the, the government of navarre knows about them refuses to tell the people about them and it's completely ignoring the fact that they are there because they just don't want to get involved in things that are not involved with them, which the politics in this country are just bizarre because you would think like once they're done with your enemies, they're coming to get you. So wouldn't it be collective to just go after them before they get to you? But whatever. Again, people in this world, people in this world are very selfish, I will definitely say. They are just, it's all about me, 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 me. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything that doesn't involve me, which that's not Violet. She is a very much a go-getter. And so that's my two thoughts on that. But we get a missive from me. So naturally, Violet has a lot of questions for her brother. But honestly, she just doesn't know where to begin. Like, how long you've been here? What's going on? Because right now, she's not a bad guy right now. They just got finished with War Games. So she's currently still on Erasia at Zayden Ryerson's house. So after she has her breakfast, she goes off and joins and just walks around the house and sees this huge, massive house that has been rebuilt. Mind you, this is not supposed to be here from the previous... Um, 
book Fourth Wing, we were told that Erasure was basically burned to the ground because this was the site where the rebellion started. But they've been slowly rebuilding it ever since then. Zayden Ryerson and his people. So, she's walking around basically in an illegal house trying to figure out what to do. And she comes across uh, the assembly that they call them having a meeting. And so she's listening in on this conversation. She's hearing about the assembly, which are basically other writers who are part of the revolution. They call it a revolution, not a rebellion, because they're not trying to take over Navarre. They just want to help stop the venom from spreading. Naturally, these are good people. And so Violet in the background just thinks to herself, man, all of this was kept from me. Her brother being alive, venom being a, a real thing. And Zayden knew about all of this and didn't tell her. And so Taryn was like, listen, what would you have known of that information if you knew about it? And Violet, I love Violet so much, but she's, I love her. She's a bit naive. She was just like, listen, don't bring logic into my emotional life. I'm like, girl, can you hear yourself right now? This is what we need right now. We need you to be logical. Take your emotions out of it for a minute. Yes, yes, yes. You can say Zayden lied to her. He didn't tell her the truth about what was going on and everything. But reality is, it's not like he lied about another woman. It's not like he lied about something in his past is not like i mean yeah did he withhold the truth absolutely but can you understand why though he literally has marks on his body from all the other writers that he is holding himself responsible for like the man's got on his mind he's doing the best he can so come on let's let's be grown-ups about this can we What's also really interesting about this moment is that you can definitely tell there's still chemistry between Zayden and Violet. Even though at the end of the last book, even that chapter was from Zayden's point of view, you can tell that Violet was super hurt by not being told, but there's still something there. So we'll definitely see more of that later on in future chapters. But after the assembly's over, well, first of all, the reason why the assembly came together, they had to decide whether or not to send the other cadets back to Basgaius. Especially after everything they've known, everything that's happened with the war games and all that. Like, is it a good idea to send them back? And lot, some of them are like, no, we can't send them back because Atos, Dane Atos, Debbie Dyer Dane, as I like to call him. If you've seen my other podcast, you understand why. Everything. But yeah, anywho, the reason why, because he's a memory reader. So as long as he touches someone's face and their hands and whatnot, he can read their past memories. And that's how they got betrayed in the last book. So they're like, how are we going to send all of them back, especially Violet, because she's super vulnerable to that. And they're all just like, do we send them back? Do we not send them back? So there's still that question. So they assembly call the quits for the day. And so Violet and her brother Brennan are basically left in the room to basically have a long conversation, six years worth of questions, as she says. So that was chapter one. On to chapter two. Chapter two. So I'm... This one thing I really love about this book is at the beginning of each chapter, we're giving an excerpt, either from a textbook, either from a scroll, either from a letter or a missive between two characters, because the book is primarily told from Violet's point of view. We get her thoughts, her feels, her actions about what's going on, but we really get kind of more background information about what's going on behind the scenes. And this one is regarding to Colonel Kaori's Field Guide to Dragonkind. And it goes, it is the valley above Ryerson House. Heated by natural thermal energy, that is the greatest asset. For there lie the original hatching ground of the Dormalti line, from which two of the greatest dragons of our time, Coda and Terran, descend. 
Coda being General Melgren's dragon. Another black dragon. Basically, at this point, they are the only two, well, two known black dragons working in um, the field at the moment. But just think about it. Ryerson House is where these two great dragons descended from. That's what I love about Rebecca Yara. She doesn't put anything in her books that's information that we will eventually get to know, which is why it's I love going back and rereading this book because then it's like, oh, that's why she put that there. And that's why she put that there. At first, when I read that, I'm like, that's interesting because, I mean, it just shows that Violet and Zayden were always meant to be together because at his home is when her dragon was basically created. So there's that. But there was, there's also another reason there. We'll get into that further, but that's always back of the mind type of thing. So chapter two going onward we get the awkward conversation between brennan and violet in regards to where the hell have you been and what the heck have you been doing and what's this revolution about so one of the main questions is that as where have you been why didn't you come back and so basically brennan was like you know uh taryn's previous writer actually sacrificed himself to save brennan so and Violet was like, you know, I'm so sorry that, you know, the writer died to save my brother. And then Taryn was like, listen, we don't talk about what's before. We start from here and now. So we respect our dragons because otherwise they might burn us. So we can move on from there. But it makes sense why Brennan went into hiding. Once he found out the truth about, I mean, all this happening, wyvern that were created by the Venom that are now spreading all throughout the outside kingdoms and we're not doing anything to stop it. He always wanted to be part of the revolution. They call it a revolution. Not a rebellion. They're not trying to take over. They're just trying to evolve it. Better word. I was like, yeah, that's a better word for it. So, yes, Venom are real. These are creatures that are just, have been corrupted by dark magic. Dark wield is as they're called it. And they create these wyverns that are basically like their flyers, dragons of sorts. And so basically they've been going from town to town and they are slowly making their way to Navarre. And he's basically like, look, if we don't get them under control, figure out how to extend our wards to not only protect the neighboring countries, but our own, we all are not going to make it. We may have three months before they completely take over. Because what they are obsessed with is power. And what they want is actually in the veil, which is where the dragons live. And they need all of that power in order to continue to thrive and survive. Think of them as like vampires for dragon power. That's kind of how I imagine it. And the reason why I say that is because they can't stop. Even if they get enough power, a source from one, they eventually drain themselves and they keep going. And so the most that they can get is from a dragon's breeding ground. And that can keep them going for generations and decades. That's like the goal. And that's why they're heading towards Navarre. And they're taking out everything in their path to get there. So again, why the government isn't knows this? Like, the government, Navarre's government, knows this is happening, does nothing because they just don't want to be, they just don't want to give away their resources. <sighs> okay, that makes sense. If they give away the resources, they don't have enough. But if we work together, we can find ways to. <sighs> again, the politics here are politicking. You got a lot of greed, got a lot of corruption that goes on here. There is a common theme, and there goes the common theme that kind of comes up a lot in this series, is that power, great power, can either be used for good or can be corrupted. Corrupt the person's soul and mind and everything. So, yeah, power is definitely a common theme here that kind of goes with that. 
It can go one of two ways. You can either do it for good, or you can use it for evil. Which, mm, that's life. But yeah. So if I were to ask him, how have they been able to get this far? So it's like they have this like leadership now they're using. And she's like, the sage. And he's like, not like the sage. This is like the main teacher that's like, that was the person who stabbed Violet with the poison blade. Who's basically been kind of rallying all the venom to kind of go after Navarre. And he's like, oh, great. Now they're being taught how to kill people. Fabulous. Now, which kind of understands why... Ben Ryerson and Zane Ryerson's dad did the rebellion because it's like, look, we have to go after these things. Otherwise, they're going to get smarter, they're going to get better, and they're going to come after us. But that rebellion, that separatist, was in public view for everyone. See, Ben Ryerson wanted everyone to know what was going on. But that was crushed in under half a year. So now they're basically underground. And they're trying to find a way to... What's the word I'm looking for? They're basically acting in secret. It's the best way I can explain it. Which is why they have to act in secret. So that's basically all the understanding. And that's all the information she gets right now. Because as she tells her brother, like, we have to go back. We being herself and the other cadets, they have to go back to Baskaya. Otherwise, they're going to get suspicious. Wait, where did all these cadets go? Where did their bodies go? So if they did die... If they did die during war games, where are their bodies? What happened? And so people are going to start looking for them. So it's like, they have to go back. Yeah. Terrence's like, yeah, you have to go back. So that's part one of this section. Then we go on to the next, where it's like they're out in the field. They're going off to where Andarna and the rest of them are. Mind you, she hasn't seen her dragons in so long. She's like, okay, let's go out here. Walking with her brother to see a dragon. Speaking of dragons and speaking of Andarna, she has grown. Now, you see this dragon right here? That's kind of how I envision Indarna now. Because because of what happened last book, where she uses her time stopping to save Violet, they essentially accelerated her growth. And so now she's gone from being a baby dragon, cute little baby golden dragon, to now a adolescent teenage dragon. Which, <laughs> fun. All the claws and teeth and fire, as the terror says, was like, that's going to be fun. And not only that, her scales are no longer gold, they're black. Not only black, but like a purplish black. So again, royalty. I said this in the last podcast for this book. Yes, that Andarna is royalty. Purple is royalty. I said that. I said that. I knew it. I was like, oh, she's royalty. She's going to be, I think, in some way, shape, or form, she is going to be instrumental in figuring out how to defeat these men and how to get the wards up. I just knew it because like this I mean of all the colors that Pesa Kiora goes over in like the first book you don't hear about purple black blue a lot and she's purple so that's royalty so I let's keep going so that not only do they need to go back for the sake of the war games to mention so that way they get all the suspicion off of them they need to go back because darna needs to go into what they call the dreamless sleep where basically during this time period a lot of the dream which is why as taryn always says she shouldn't have born in the first place because she adolescents don't really have a lot of patience for adults which yeah it's like a human teenager don't have a lot of patience with always questioning the adults around yeah so she needs to go back into the dream to sleep so that way her growth process can be completed. And Dorna wakes up, she's like, I know what's going on. I don't need any sleep, but the poor thing's wobbling, her wings not off balance. 
they're like, oh, sweet and darn up. Rebecca Yarosa, I saw an interview, actually said, be wary of a snarky teenage in Darna. So we start to see a lot of that snarkiness coming out. And so the, all the rest of the kids are there, and they all decided, you know what, okay, we're going to have to send this back. But how are we going to do this? And so Zane Ryder said, we're going to have 48 hours to do it. I got a plan. And so said, what's happening in 48 hours? Graduation. And so from there, we go into chapter three. All right, so now, chapter three, we begin, Violet and, and Darna and Taryn are mid-flight, and Darna is still strapped to Taryn, and Taryn's basically carrying both of them back to Best Guys College, and so basically, they're having this conversation that needs to be overdone, needs to be done, because, I mean, Taryn and Darna basically knew about the revolution, and didn't tell Violet, and the reason that they couldn't tell Violet is because of Taryn's bond to Sigale. And there's only one thing stronger than that about dragon to its writer. It's to its mate. So they couldn't tell. And so technically they didn't lie, but it was really a lie of omission. And so Terrence's like, look, I can't change what has happened. It has happened. What I can do is honest, you know, 100% transparency moving forward now that everybody knows. And so we're like, okay, I can handle that. My thoughts on that one. Here's the thing. You get blistering angry with Zayden for not telling you. But when Taryn doesn't tell you, it's okay. Violet's reasoning behind this is just all wonky. Which, I mean, that's what love does to you. It makes you kind of go, ooh, ooh, ooh. This is like Violet's, her and Zayden's relationship is Violet's first real love match. And so, you know, the ages of 20, 18 to 25, that's the really awkward phase where a lot of things do happen. And so she's learning. It's a, it's a learning curve on how to properly communicate how it is you're feeling. And so I don't really think it's the fact that he kept the revolution a secret. It's that going forward, he's probably going to have to keep more secrets from her. And that's what she doesn't like. I mean, I want 100% transparency. And he's like, I can't give that to you. Which totally makes sense because, like, he's got a lot of people in his corner and behind him that he needs to protect. But how does that work with our relationship if you can't be honest with me? Yeah. Yeah. And mind you, this is a struggle that Violet and Zayden has in their relationship throughout the entire book, which at times gets a little redundant, but this is just one of many. Another thing I love about this fight sequence is that the conversation that Taryn and Andarda have, it is like a typical father-daughter conversation. They are snarky at each other, and Violet's like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. These two yelling at each other, and me just in the middle. So they get to Best Guy's College, get to the flight field, and there's nobody there. So they take Andarna quickly off to the, you know, veil, so that way she goes into the dream to sleep. And so then Violet and Zayden are walking back to the Vescaya because they have to go to the two of the rooms. They have to go to Sole's room and they have to go to Liam's room and take all their letters out before people get in there and start to realize the letters, like trans um, missives and everything that they've been through back and forth within them and Erasia. And it's hard because Liam, that was heartbreaking. Rebecca, why did you do that to us? Why did you kill off one of my favorite characters, Liam? God. Anyhow, so they had to do that first before they can get to the graduation ceremony, which is awkward because everybody thinks they're dead. And it's so funny, by the time they get to the actual ceremony, they're reading off their name, and then Zayden steps out and he's like, hey, y'all, 
This is going to be awkward. Okay, so this is the chapter that I was waiting for. How the heck are they going to explain where they've been? Because War Games was only supposed to be a week long. They've been gone longer than that. So naturally, everyone thinks that they're dead. And not only that, but General Ato, General Ato is the thing that Joseph's father is there. But her mother, little bit Sorengale as well, is there as well too. So she's got to go up to her mom explain to her where she's been. So here's the lie that they came up with. They basically stated that, well, they didn't present and said, hey, listen, we were part of the war games. We got the missive to go to Aspen. We took a quick little break by a lake, which is a couple of miles from there. But then they were attacked, not by venom, which is what they really were attacked by, but they were attacked by a flight of griffin riders. I mean, technically speaking, yes, they did stop by a lake before they made it off to Aspen. But, I mean, all due respect, that is a pretty good lie, though. But then I said, wait, two dragons were taken, and their riders were taken down by a flight of griffin riders. For those of you who aren't familiar, griffins are basically a combination of lion, hawk, and, like, snake, if you will. See the image right there? That's kind of what a griffin would be like. And so there's, so Denor Ito is like, wait, that doesn't make no sense. But then it's like, he turns like, this is the missive that you gave me, basically saying that this is where we're supposed to go, and then we were attacked. And so General Sorengill looks at him like, wait, you emptied out an entire outpost for war games? I mean, it's not really a uh, more heavily guarded outpost, but still, this is kind of extreme. Like, you were plotting something. You were plotting to get to hurt somebody. And then Violet steps forward. She's like, yeah, we were out there and I got stabbed by a poison dagger. And so they brought us from the lake to Athsbang, which was uh, which is, um, deserted. And that's what had happened. And so they're like, wait, so what happened to the dragons and to the two riders? Well, we buried the bodies over by where the lake is if you want to go and see where they are. So... For the first time, though, I will definitely say General Sorengill, little bit Sorengill, Violet Sorengill's mother, let's get the family tree right, she looks at her daughter's like, wow, you almost died by a poisoned dagger. You really are like my daughter. That's a hell of a thing to say when you, <laughs> like, mom, hi. I mean, I would think as a mother, as, if that was my mother, I would be like, hey, that's all you got from me? No. Oh my god, I'm glad you made it. I'm so happy that you're here. But no. She's basically like, oh, you're just like me in a younger form. Which Violet at this point is like, that's, that's not a good thing. You completely ignored me all my life. And so now you're proud of me because I'm just like you. <laughs> Violet's like, I am nothing like you. I never want to be anything like you. But for the moment, General... I mean, even though Atos doesn't believe them because he knows what really happened, he sent them there to die, to be attacked by Venom. So he knows what really happened, but Sorengale does not. General Sorengale does not. And basically looks at her aide because General Atos is under Sorengale and looks at him like, we're going to have a conversation about this later, but for now, y'all go back in line and we'll just go from there. So, for the time being, they managed to escape this one, if you will. So they went through, they're going back into line, standing in line, or the, the quadrant. Come tied there. They're basically going back and standing in line. So Jane runs up to Violet. So he's just happy to see that she's still alive. And so she looks at him like, oh, don't you freaking touch me. 
I tell you, I almost threw the book across the room. I was so proud about it. Finally, she sees Dane for what he, the, the Debbie Downer, damn it, Dane, for what he really is, which is a scrub, which is a bugaboo, which is a liar, which is a... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I had to stop myself real quick. <laughs> that dude works on my nerve. Oh, my God. But now she sees him for what he really is, which is not a good friend. And so he has the nerve to be shocked. Like, wait, I'm happy to see that you're still alive. And so, and so Dane's like, wait, you don't mean it. Like, and Zane steps forward, like, yes, she does mean it, damn it. Listen here. She's mine. I'm hers. Everybody knows it. You know it. She knows it. And this whole quadrant knows it. And he says it loud enough for everybody to hear. So basically putting Dane on notice that, like, keep your hands off my girl. Not just in terms of the whole love triangle thing that they got going on, but in terms of the fact that, you know, keep her hands off the seat that way you don't read her memories. I gotta say, though, there was a fan theory thrown around that, like, Dane and Violet were supposed to be endgame, which I'm like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. And honestly, I'm super thankful that they are not. I think Rebecca Mayaro's an idiot and he said they are not endgame. They're basically, that was like her first time crush love. And then she kind of goes on to see it. He's like, he's not the one for me. And so they just kind of leave it at that. But going back into the story. So now they all get back into line. And now it's time for the graduation ceremony. So basically the graduation ceremony, you know, it's just Panchek going up to the count, going up to the dais and basically calling all the third years up that are still alive and basically saying, congratulations, you didn't die. Hooray. Here's your mission. You have until tomorrow morning to get your shit and get out. And that's the graduation ceremony. You know, if I had to buy a death college, I want a party. I want alcohol. I want, <laughs> like, that's all you're going to give us. But then again... That's best guy for college for you. Very emotionless. Death is just like breakfast. You know, it just happens every single day. And then basically says, all right, so all of the surviving first years, you are now officially second years. All the second years, you are now officially third years. Hooray. And so at the end of this section, we get a group hug from all the people in, you know, Violet section because they had, I think it was like 13. Hold on. Correction. There were 11 first years that were in their squad to begin with. And now there's just Riddick, Sayer, Rihanna, Nadine, and Violet. So five. Then, yes. Well, for now, anyway. All right. Now, at the beginning of chapter five, we get this excerpt. Oof. And this is what I got to read. Some of these I will definitely read because I just love how, like, they just set up certain characters, new characters that are adding into it, and also to give you more depth. So here we go. After three consecutive deaths of prisoners during interrogation, it is this commander's opinion that Major Burden Farish should be reassigned from active wing until further notice. Missive from Lieutenant Colonel Durangal Samara Outpost to General Sorengale. I mean, to General... Melgrin, that's where I'm going, Melgrin. So we are introduced to a new character. And Verish becomes very important later on in this chapter. But for now, we are at a party. You know, it is after the ceremony, the graduation ceremony. And everybody's drinking this, you know, spiced lemonade. A little bit of alcohol, a lot of bit of alcohol. Everybody's getting drunk. Especially Violet, because she's been through a lot. She's going through a lot of trauma. I love this first time they say, party, writers party as hard as we fight. And we fight pretty damn hard. I love that group. So, but also going back to the trauma part. 
I saw an interview that Rebecca Yaros did on Good Morning America just to promote the Iron Flame book, and she actually said there are three key things to this book. There's one trauma from what had happened during the first book, not only from her first year, but also from the second year, also life trauma as well, too. Second, we have second we have growth you're gonna see a lot of character development a lot of God, stop scratching going back to the growth a lot of the characters grow up a little bit starting how to communicate which is huge in this book as well too and then there's a third for secrets a lot of secrets that come out that we kind of understand a little bit more about each of the characters and uh, stay tuned because there i mean i read this book at least three times now there are so many secrets that we're going back into the story so everyone's going on the table and they're talking about what they're looking forward to in the, their new years as you know cadets rihanna's saying she's looking forward to going to this place called santara which is basically forbidden forbidden from um second year and third year writers attending all the other quadrants the healers the scribes and the infantry are allowed to go but because of a fight that resulted in one of the bars being burned down they're not allowed to go which they might get privileges for this year one person said they're looking forward to the letters that they're going to get from family, which is good. And a lot of people are like, I'm looking forward to kind of expanding the dating pool because it's getting very incestuous. I love how actually in the first book, fourth book, uh, Violet says, there's a lot of hedonism going on around here. And there's a lot of partner swapping. Very sexually fluidly going on around here. And so Rihanna kind of teases Violet a little bit about that. She's like, well, you don't have to worry about that because we all know you're going to be getting close and fully and fuzzy and lovely, fuzzy, lovely, with a now Lieutenant Ryerson. And so uh, Violet kind of is like, you know, we're not kind of, and the whole team was like, boo, like, guys, come on, we know what's going on here. You showed up last book wearing his flight leathers in formation, and number two, he publicly declared that you're basically his. So we know what's going on. Plus, he's no longer the wing leader. So it's like, it's not about being bad, like dating someone who's above you. Like, we know what's going on. It's okay, girl. You understand. So basically, they're going around, and then the conversation about what happened during war games comes up, and Violet has just a lump in her throat, thinking about Liam or what really happened, the fact that she really can't be truthful and honest with her friends about it, because she doesn't want to put their lives in jeopardy, and she hates the fact that she has to keep this secret from them. But, I mean, you're part of a revolution, hon. Comes with the territory. You want to be part of the revolution? You're going to have to keep secrets. So they all raise their grass to Liam. Liam, I never stopped loving Liam, I tell you. And oh, also Quinn, one of the characters that I love from last book, she was like, whatever you do, as far as like a rule, don't get too close to the incoming first years because a lot of them probably won't be around. So don't get too attached too quickly. And so they're all just like, thanks. Which understandably why they were kind of like standoffish until after their threshing when they bond the dragons. Because then it's like, that's when you know they're kind of worthwhile getting to know. Yeah. A lot of emotional detachment goes on in this college, which doesn't, I mean, it works for surviving best guys, but does nothing for your relationships.
Speaking of relationships, she suddenly starts to feel the bond between her and Zayden. She looks up and boom, Lieutenant Zayden Ryerson now is staring at her and kind of giving her the link like, look, we need to talk. I'm about to head out to my um, post. So as they're walking out to the flight, viewers pilot's like, wait, you're not waiting till tomorrow. Like Panjack says, like, eh, wing leaders are typically the ones that have to get out quick because the new wing leaders want to come in and start getting set up and everything before they start their duties. So it's like, eh, understandable. And then as they're walking out, you know, he's kind of low-key flirting, but Violet's, like, putting that wall up because she's like, I can't really trust you just now. That happens a lot in this book. But then they run into, you guessed it, they run into Colonel Etos. And, well, he's no longer the colonel. He has been dismissed by General Sorengo. And now they have their new vice commandant, Major Varish. Ferris from the admissive from the beginning of the chapter. And so basically they give them their missive. Because mind you, Violet and Ryerson's um, dragons are a mated pair. So they can't be separated for like longer than like three days. Which, I mean, that means somebody's got a bit somewhere. So here's what's going to happen. And basically they give them a message that stated that like Cadet, uh, Yep, Sorengill gets to leave, you know, Bascot College uh, for 48 hours every two weeks to go to wherever Zayden is. And Zayden gets kind of a similar one that pretty much stays the same thing. Every two weeks he gets to go. So basically every other week they're alternating weekends as to when they can go visit their dragons. So basically every week they get to leave and go see the dragons. Like I said... They can only really be separated from each other for three days until it physically starts to hurt them. So Violet, like, Taryn, how you feeling about this? Taryn roars loudly in her head. And it's like, oh, he is not happy about this. And General H.O.S. basically looks at them, and I'm going to read this word for word for what he said. And secrets make for poor leverage. They die with the people who keep them. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a clear threat, which we describe more in the next chapter. All right, so to retort, to not retort, to um, basically clap back to what General H.O. said in the last chapter, saying step forward and says, well, it's a good thing we're not keeping any secrets. And General H.O. says, well, that's good. And turns to Violet, Violet, be careful about who you share your war stories with. I would hate for General Lilith Sorengale to lose both her daughters. And then he and, Gen- and Major Ferris walks away. And so basically they're like, he just threatened your life. And it's like, yep, now I have to be careful about this. If they weren't enemies before, they're definitely enemies now. So as they continue walking, you know, um, to try and calm herself, she tries to reach out to Andarna. It's like, hey, how you doing? And she's like, how's Taryn doing? And Andarna was like, <laughs> I love what Andarna said. She was basically like, you've lost all touch with reality if you think I'm getting close to him right now. <laughs> He is in a mood. I mean, I mean, first of all, he is not only separated from his mate for longer than he really, really likes to be, but also because he's a dragon. When do dragons take orders from humans? Never. Not in this universe, they don't. And so because of his bonded relationship with Violet, he kind of has to go along with the plan. And that does nothing for the ego of a dragon, I would think. 
So they continue walking along. And mind you, Violet's still a little drunk from the lemonade, but her guard kind of been let down a little bit. And so her and Zayden are kind of flirting back and forth. Again, there's still that chemistry between them. There's still that love shit between them. And even Zayden calls her out and look, you may be angry with me right now, but you know you still love me, even if you don't want to admit to it. So he basically tells her, we'll try and communicate when we can, but, you know, I have to get going. So he basically goes off and leaves. And then she's standing there kind of holding herself like, God, why do I love this man so much? And obviously we all do. I understand the girl. But then she hears Rihanna come in from behind her, her Bessie, basically, at this college. And we find out that <laughs> a good news and bad news. And I was like, bad news first. I, I just, just get rip the mandate off. What's the bad news? The bad news is, is that, damn it, dang. Debbie Downer Dane is their new wing leader. Yay. Okay, what's the good news? The good news is that Rihanna is their new squad leader. Sorry, that's always pretty good. I mean, yay. She actually said last book that like she really wanted to be the squad leader. So we're all, I was like, I she's gonna get it. Like, come on, she's just that girl she was the one who helped train violet and so yeah she's done and she got it so i was like yes and so sorry was like okay what's the first you know command a squad leader he's like rihanna was like just live <laughs> if only it was that simple girl all right it is the most wonderful time of the year it is the holiday season we're coming into thanksgiving next month is christmas and whatever holiday you celebrate so it is a time for get together with family and friends but also, these holiday seasons can bring a lot of stress, too. So, de-stress this holiday season with supplements to help you feel better, balanced, and focused, no matter how busy your season will get this year. This year. The holiday season is a time for joy, gatherings, but can also be a huge source of stress. Chronic stress can cause chronic inflammation, which can lead to other critical health conditions. There are three hormones that affect inflammation. They are estrogen, cortisol, and insulin. Every semaine supplement is formulated to help reduce stress and keep you balanced. Depending on what you're experiencing, the supplements shown above here are perfect for balancing your metabolic hormones and your estrogen slash progesterone imbalance that happens during stressful seasons. And of course, you know, my besties, I got choked up. So type in wellness through reading when you go in and check out and you get 20% off your first bottle. So head on over to that website, which is www.samainhealth.com and type in the promo code wellness through reading to get 20% off your first order. As always, I wish you good wellness and good reading. All right. So now we are into chapter seven. Yeah. How y'all feeling? How y'all doing? Before we go any further, hit that subscribe button so that way you stay notified when new episodes are uploaded. Also, if you have questions or you've got a comment, hit that comment as well too. Help grow the podcast. Also, share this with family and friends as well too. So, going back into the story, chapter seven, we are now in a whole nother wing at the writer's quadrant. So, that rhyming right after celebration of the graduating class, they're right back into it. Typically, all the other quadrants, they get the five, six days off as they're welcoming the new recruits and everything. But nope, not in the rise quadrant. There's a lot to cover, a lot to go over. So everyone's in the room now. They're talking and whatnot. And Violet's having trouble sleeping. Especially what happened after wrestling with the whole venom attack. She's been having nightmares. She's still very much traumatized. And so Mingran and her friend realizes this in seasons. So I was just like, you want to talk about it? And so she's like, 
she can't I mean, Violet's just not really good at keeping secrets from people that she cares about so she chooses just not to say anything because she, if she if you're gonna tell she's one of those just kind of like me in that way if I'm gonna tell it I gotta tell it all I can't just tell bits and pieces and so Zane's like look if you can't tell them any if the bits and pieces don't tell them anything because we can't risk losing the lives of other people so Violet at this point is really stressed out and it's only going to get even worse. We are introduced to a new professor, Professor Grady, who basically states that, okay, your guys' class is probably the smallest we've ever had. It's just 89 students up in here. And so Violet's like, that's interesting. So she, through her mental bond with Taryn, is like, is the reason why less and less dragons are bonded is because of the fact that there's venom and no one wants to do anything about it. And Taryn basically is just like, Yes. I mean, it's just exasperated at this point. Like, basically, why are you asking me a question to which you already know the answer to? And so Violet, like, kept back, like, wait, we need more writers if we're going to fight these things off. And so Taryn's like, hey, listen, we dragons are just impartial as y'all are. The Empyrean remains divided. The Empyrean being the dragon council, if you will, on whether or not we should get involved. Humans aren't the only ones keeping secrets. I said this in my last review of Fourth Wing. I said this. The dragons are keeping so many secrets from humans. Which, naturally, I mean, if I was a powerful dragon, I wouldn't want a human knowing all my secrets as well, too. But, we finally got confirmation. So basically, this class, Professor Gay's class, is all about RSC. And what is that? It's basically, um, basically, it's just basic, um training so that way in case you're ever separated from your dragon behind enemy lines and you're captured you'll know how to maneuver your way out of this without giving out any information and it's this is like a secretive class that they only take at Basquiat and so it's so secret that even Violet who grew up at Basquiat because of her mother's job doesn't even know about it so they're all looking at her like what's this and she's like I'm learning just as y'all are. And so basically one part that made my heart thump is the fact that as a part of the RSA, it's like outside navigation, but also it is torture, how to handle being tortured and not answer any questions. So basically like, wait, you guys are gonna torture us. It's like, yeah, we're gonna teach you how, give you tips and tools on how to avoid um, giving away secrets during interrogation. And yes, twice in a year, we're gonna kidnap you, torture you, and basically beat you black and blue and make sure that you don't give us any secrets and don't break. And so Rihanna's like, what happens if we do break? And so he looks at her like, don't. Just another day at Bass Guys College. This college is so screwed up. I'm telling you, if I were, I don't know if I could have survived at Bass Guys College if it really answered you. I mean, I would probably want to go into either the scribe or the healer quadrant. I don't think I would want to be in the retreat or even in the right quadrant. Even with the chance of bonding a dragon, the things these writers got to go through, it's like, is it even worth it? Like, why are we torturing each other? Like, can't you just tell me what to do? Like, what? I mean, I get it. I mean, it's part of training. So that way, if you're actually in the field, you know what to do. But, ugh. This just torturing your students i mean it just goes to show how corrupt this government really is like you're that afraid of your secrets getting out that you're willing to torture people just to make sure that they don't say anything like i mean like there's a lot of secrets going on here not just between each other but also with the government and their people as well too there's just so many secrets you need to stop giving me secrets stop telling the truth good lord so then we're off to the archives after this crazy and wonderful class 
And we meet Jacinia again. Jacinia, who is Violet's friend from the first book. And basically, she knows sign language. And so they're talking, signing to each other. And so she's asking her for, you know, scrolls or tombs, and they call it, about the first six. Because Violet, I mean, even though Zayden gave her orders, don't do anything that will draw attention to you. I know you want to help out with the revolution and everything and the living supplies to our allies but you just stay focused on your classes so she violet being that girl she doesn't listen the girl does not listen so she's going to figure out how we can get these wards up how we can do something so she's looking into the first six the first six basically being the first six writers to bond dragons and there's a secret there that will help them in their battle against it fence them so she grabs a tomb she goes off to read and she's doing her research so now chapter eight we are now at the chapter where the new kidnapped but their potentials as we call them well not really let me know anyhow it is conscription day basically the day where all the new candidates candidates get to cross the parapet and make their way over to the writer's quadrant and it looks a little different because now she's the one on the other side ushering in the new Cadet candidates, let's call it. And she's putting her shields up, making sure that um, their shields basically being that protective uh, force around her. So that way, no one can kind of invade her space. A case in point, people like Dane, who are many readers, can't read her mind. And she, I love it. She's like, I'm just trying to avoid you no know, fantasizing about pushing him over the tower. She is pissed with Dane, and honestly, rightfully so. Good for you, Violet. So basically, they've all been given jobs as to what they're going to do on Conscription Day. It's Conscription Day. So Violet volunteers to be the person who writes down the names of the candidates who are crossing the parapet. Basically because she's holding up her end of the bargain that she had with Liam that she would look out for his sister Sloane. Because it's her year now to cross the parapet. And because as the learned in the first year, fourth wing, first book, um, all of the children of the rebellion are basically automatically conscripted to go into the writer's quadrant without against their will basically so she's made it her own duty now because liam sacrificed his life for her she's gonna now do whatever she can to protect sloan and when she finally meets Sloan, she's trying to give her all this good advice on how to get across the parapet sloan basically looks at her like oh you my brother died saving you you're the reason my brother is dead and it's not warm and fuzzy as we thought it would be. It's very confrontational, which I can understand. I mean, everything that happened was there to protect Violet and my brother was a death as a result of that. I wouldn't like you either. Considering also who your mother is, yeah, I don't like you. And even Tara's like, look, it wasn't your fault. And she's like, but it was. And so that just adds onward to her guilt as well too. But Sloane, despite her little snarkiness, she does make it across. And just what really melts my heart is that she looks up to the heavens, she goes, she made it. Basically, it's late. So, yeah. And so basically, they're all in their lines right now. Um, everybody's crossed the parapet at this point, And they're all kind of like, hmm. Riddick's like, this is kind of weird. Like, should we tell him it's going to be okay? Should we confirm? And Imogen is like, <laughs> I love Imogen. She's just so straightforward. Like, it's not okay. It's very impolite to lie to people. <laughs> I love Imogen's attitude, her pink hair and everything. It's just awesome. She's just a straightforward to the point kind of personality. Like, don't lie to them. It's not going to be okay. And honestly, if I was in that situation, I would want someone like Imogen telling me the truth about the matters. Because at least with the truth, I mean, 
the truth will set you free, but it'll piss you off first. And then Violet sees that Sloane's making her way to first wing, so she's like, oh, I really want her in my squad. So she does eventually come over to fourth wing, their squad. And Sloane at first is like, oh, hell to the no, I don't want to be in the squad with that girl. And then Rihanna, who is their squad, is like, you have no choice. Get your butt in line. Then Rihanna kind of looks at her like, what's going on? So she tells her that Sloane, you know, Liam's sister, is like, you sure you want her in the squad? Like, well, at least if she were in the same squad, she can't kill me. That's the rule of the codex. If you're in the same squad with someone, these are the people who are duty-bound not to kill you. So, there you go. Then, just like last year, as all the uh, all the candidates are now cadets, in line, in formation with all the other writers, then the dragons kind of come. The same thing that happened last year. And so, they're all kind of sitting around. So, Violet, like, can mentally connects out to Taryn again. She's like, you didn't want to participate in this? And he was like, I don't participate in parlor tricks. I just respect Taryn so much for saying that. And then the annoying Debbie Downer Dammit Dane steps forward and he's just like trying to do his best Zayden impersonation, which just like Violet's like, you're no Zayden, stop trying to be. He's trying so hard to step into Zayden's shoes and it's like, you ain't Zayden, boo-boo. No. And then as the dragons get there, they, of course, there's a runner. And whenever, as we learned in the first book, if there's a runner, then the dragon incinerates that runner. But then there's a new dragon on the thing that she doesn't recognize. And so Taryn's like, you know, is there a runner? It's like, yeah, like, there's a dragon here. There's a one-eyed orange dragon. And then Taryn's like, what? Solus is there? And he's like, I'm on my way. And so automatically alerts of anxiety central. This is not good. And then more runners take off and they think they're going to make it. And then Taryn goes, no eyes on Solus. And then Violet really waits. Why is he taking so long? Because normally the dragon from last year didn't wait this long. And then she realizes that he's a little bit too low for comfort. Then out of nowhere, he starts breathing fire. And then she realizes they're all in the direct line of fire. Not just the runners, but the people in the formation. So she screams, everyone get down. She grabs Snow, throws down, and then all hell breaks loose. And, you know, he, the solar is just burning people left and right. He basically took out half of an entire freaking squad. And also one, and also noted one of the people that she met at Erasia also was burned as well, too. So this was strategic as well. Because what we learned in this chapter is that Solus is Major Ferris's dragon. But what stops Solus from, because he was about to keep going, Taryn shows up and basically bellows at him, like, look, you do not have the right to burn what is mine, meaning Violet. And all the other dragons, they kind of step back. He kind of just looks at him with his one eye. So basically, it's not just the people who have beef in this world. The dragons got beef too. Because what we find out is that Solus and Taryn got beef. Taryn was the one who took out that one eye that he had. And I told him, look, if he comes near you again, I'm going to take out that other eye and I'm going to eat his rider alive and leave him digesting in my stomach that is graphic as hell but it was an effective message but if Varish wasn't an enemy before now he most definitely is the enemy all right y'all we are at chapter number nine so i want to read this little excerpt from the beginning of this chapter and it goes and in the mountains of steel ridge range the green dragons of the Unilegal line, known for their keen intellect and rational continence, offered their ancestral hatching grounds for the good of dragonkind. And the wards of Navarre were woven by the first six at which is now Basquiat War College. United Navarre, a study in survival by Grado Brunel, curator of the Scribe Quadrant. 
So chapter nine, we start out with Violet waking up in a cold sweat. She's having yet another nightmare. The trauma that she's going through is just, it's building up and she doesn't have anyone really to confide in at this point, which just sucks. So she's been getting up an hour earlier than everybody else to go out for basically a run. And Imogen, who was with her during this time at Erasure when all that mayhem happened, basically goes out for a run with her. They actually run into Rihanna, who just got out of a leadership meeting. Basically, they were like, yeah, we're going to have to condense squad because of what happened during conscription day. And so she basically looks back and forth. You're going for a run? Violet's not a runner. So obviously something is off. And Imogen obviously knows this. And I'm pretty sure Ryerson asked her probably to keep an eye on her. And so they've come a long way from the first book, their relationship. She's gone from just flat out loathing Violet to kind of being a confidant and a friend. Just kind of that straightforward friend that everybody needs. And so basically she's like, look, what are you running from? Because you're not a runner. I mean, Violet, I mean, she's strong and everything, but she's still got brittle bones and everything, so she shouldn't exert herself too much. So it's like, okay, what you running from, girl? And so finally, she breaks down and tells Imogen about the dreams she's been having, about how, you know, the venom, how they attack, and so she just wants to build up her, you know, um, endurance to make sure that she cannot run them. It's like, well, we may not be fast enough yet, but we'll get there. So let's go for a run. I mean, during moments like this, when you're feeling anxious, it's always good to have someone to reach out to. I mean, she... Feels like she can't reach out to her friends, but at least she has Imogen to talk to. So I guess that's something. Don't keep emotions bottled up for too long, I guess, is what Rebecca Harris is trying to tell us here. So basically, we go from that to our very first battle brief, post everything that's happened. And basically, they're talking about a battle that's going to happen, and Violet just sitting there seething because she just knows Markham is lying his teeth off. None of that is what she's reporting is really happening. She wants to jump up and scream. That's not what's going on. But she can't. Obviously, she's got to just keep her mouth shut. And she's, again, she's not a good liar. She can't keep secrets very well. And so Rihanna's kind of looking over like, you okay? Because I can see you kind of grinding your teeth there. And so she kind of has to calm it down. Like, okay, I, I, I can't say anything. I'm, I'm all right. So we move on. And we go from that to lunch and also, oh, this is assessment day. Look at my note. So today is assessment day. Basically, they're going to assess the first years and see what their fighting skills is like. How can they fight? Are they good at combat? And it's really good to see where they're at and if they're really worth noting as good fighters. So we get to the assessment day and one in particular, Sloan, they're looking at and they realize, She's not a good fighter. And the other way, Liam was excellent. He was like the top of their year. Why is she not a good fighter? And then so like Imogen was telling her, like, look, some of the um, children of the rebellion, they weren't put in the same foster home. So they might not have gotten the same training. And so Violet feels so guilty. It's like, wait, they were siblings and they were separated. And they're like, basically, yeah. So it's like, oh, well, we're going to have to train this girl. Then one guy comes up with Violet Thorngale. And so Nadine was like, because she had dyed her hair purple at this point. She's like, yeah, I'm just being cutesy, Nadine. Yeah, I'm Violet Thorngale. What's up? And before she even finishes her sentence, the guy who walks up snaps Nadine's neck. Why did he do it? Who is this person? Because here's the thing. He wasn't after Nadine. He was after Violet. And that's what I love about this book. It leaves each chapter, because almost every other chapter is left on a cliffhanger like this. This random person walking up, it just killed Nadine from their squad, who was looking for Violet. 
Why did he do it? What's going on? Well, unfortunately, y'all, that is the end of this episode. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I know. I But stay tuned for next week because we will be going over chapters 10 through 18. I'll go over what had happened, what had going on. But as always, I thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And as always with my podcast episodes, I like to leave you all with the all right, y'all. So today, this week's quote is, Be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. This was by Jennifer Lee, an American filmmaker. And as always, I thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Please like, comment, and share, and subscribe to the channel so that way you're up- updated when new podcast episodes are uploaded, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even up on YouTube as well, too. We are there as well. Also, follow me on TikTok and Instagram as well, which is at Wellness Through Reading. As always, I wish you all good wellness and good reading.